With Father's Day right around the corner, what do you give to the man who has everything? Easy. You give him an experience he'll never forget. You give him Omaha Steaks because a world-class dad deserves a world-class steak. The Father's Day experts at Omaha Steaks have made it easy to put a smile on the big guy's face this summer with hand-selected gift packages starting at just $89. Just go to omahasteaks.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout for an additional discount when you shop gourmet gift packages for Father's Day. With Omaha Steaks, the possibilities are endless. Endless flavor, endless variety, and endless value. Truly, they have perfected more than just steak, your dad is guaranteed to love every bite. Go to omahasteaks.com, use the promo code BLUEWIRE to get an exclusive savings. Shop for unforgettable gifts that are guaranteed to make dad's day. Because if there's one thing that Omaha Steaks knows, it's the dad's want steak. That's omahasteaks.com, promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to save on exclusive packages starting at just $89. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to Talking Halos. This is Derek C. Powell, all alone on this Friday night. Good Friday for everybody. Happy Friday. Angels win their opener 4-3. Late game, late game heroics from Mike Trout to earn the 4-3 win. Bullpen shuts it down. Not a bad debut for 2021 Angels. They're up in the series 1-0. Now, the thing is this, timing did not work well this morning. I wanted to have a podcast out this morning. So... Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Actually, I'm recording this part of it just as the next game is getting underway. We'll probably wind up taking tomorrow off. I know he promised a seven-day streak. We'll see if I can get one out, but just in case it doesn't happen, because it is Easter weekend, we'll be back on Sunday or Monday with the full series breakdown and how it went. Thus far, though, not a bad beginning. 4-3 over the White Sox last night. We want to get more into the tour in the league. We visit with two great podcasters right off the bat. Gabrielle Starr from Locked on Red Sox came on the show, gave us a lowdown on the Red Sox, and, and then later on, we also have Josh Soroka back from Section 336 Podcast. Gives us a lowdown on the Orioles, and he's quite optimistic about the Orioles' future. Before we get there, though, here's a... Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. 
Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. We're from our sponsors. All right. Say, so, hey, don't forget, if there's a way to help our podcast and you don't have the money flow in terms of, you know, sponsoring and so on and so forth, buying from these places helps us out too. So do us a solid, please, and make it happen. You can always follow us on Twitter, on other social media, Facebook, subscribe, leave a five-star review. All those are ways to help this podcast grow. And uh, we, I think we have some pretty good surprises coming your way this season. So hope you lock in. All right, speaking of locking in, here's Gabrielle Starr from Locked on Red Sox. All right, folks, we are here for our tour around the league. This is for the Boston Red Sox. Got Gabrielle Starr from Locked on Red Sox. And girl at the game, I gotta ask you about that a little bit. Let our let our listeners know we have a lot of female listeners, so I think they'll gravitate right away to you and what you do. So first off, Gabrielle, how you doing? I am good, Derek. Thanks for having me on. Oh, glad to have you. We I was just telling you before we got started how much you know we kind of see the Red Sox as a measuring stick. And last year this Red Sox team was well, not the Red Sox we're used to. Are there any signs this year it's going to be different? Um, you know, I definitely think that they're going to be better, but that's not saying very much given how bad they were last year. You know, the bar can't get much lower, so there's plenty of upside. But I, th- I definitely think just based on the fact that they're going to have more pitching than last year and just a healthier team, God willing, than last year, that they, there is pretty much nowhere to go but up. Well, what are the changes? I mean, we, I mean, I confess, we, this has been just a strange offseason. It's been hard to keep up with what every team has been doing. We don't have the normal farm system movement. The draft is even different this year. Nothing is as we see it. So, fill us in. What are the, what are the big changes to the Red Sox this year? So, the Red Sox signed a lot of free agents this winter. They made a couple of interesting trades, notably for you with the Angels, the Red Sox signed Matt Andrees, and I believe Garrett Richards also used to pitch for you guys. Nope. Or maybe sure. I'm just imagining it because, like you said, I can't keep track either. But they got a bunch of new pitching, including Richards, Andrees. Um, Nick Pavetta was a trade at the deadline at the deadline last year, so that's not exactly new, but it's kind it's kind of new. And they, of course, signed Kike Hernandez, Marwin Gonzalez. They made a very rare trade with the New York Yankees for Adam Ottavino. Um, I'm definitely forgetting a couple people, but they have made some significant moves to bolster their team. They got Hunter Renfro to add to their outfield. Of course, they said goodbye to Jackie Bradley Jr. Um, Franchi Cordero was part of a trade. and. Um, you know, they, they've just made a lot of free agent signings. It actually kind of feels like the 2013 off season when Ben Charrington just totally demolished the 2012 team and signed a bunch of guys like Johnny Gomes and Mike Napoli. Uh, and here we are, we've got a very different roster than we did last year. Now, what drew them to Garrett Richards? We've been following him. So honestly, with Garrett Richards, I'm not exactly sure what drew them to him, but I will say that his year last year was kind of misleading. I know that he had he had an interesting few starts last year that kind of skewed his stats. There was one game, I believe, that he gave up something like seven earned runs. And, you know, because last season was such such a small sample size, you know, that kind of just blew it for his whole year. He actually has not been as bad as uh, people think, though I will say that he has struggled a little bit so far in spring training. One of his starts, it might have actually been his first start 
It took him about 23 pitches to get out of the first inning, and that inning wasn't actually even over. It was just that Cora ended the inning the way that managers can do during spring training, apparently. He just said, okay, this is over. Um, Garrett Richards actually came back out for the second inning of that game and only needed eight pitches to retire the side, one, two, three. So, you know, it's really, it's kind of anyone's guess what's going on with him. He's pitched twice now. Um, His first appearance, two runs on three hits with two walks. Um, And then he faced the Braves and gave up four runs on three hits and walked four batters. So, you know, it's only early in spring training. He's only pitched twice. Um, He's had some injuries the last couple years. But, you know, there is some talk about whether or not the Red Sox made a mistake in going for him instead of someone like Corey Kluber, who, of course, also is going you know, is coming back from some injuries. You know, at this point, I'm just happy that we actually have pitchers because last year the biggest thing was the Red Sox didn't even really have any options. And this year, at least they have options. They might not be good options, but at least they have options. And just, you know, Garrett Richards, the reason why he no longer remains was because, is because of the injury. And, I mean, there were, there were times when he was lights out, absolutely lights out. And if there's any chance he regains that form, you know, I would be happy with him on a one-year. You know, there are, there are plenty of Angels fans here right now who are not happy that they didn't bring him back, considering that, you know, he like you said, he he the numbers last year are skewed. And there's still some folks who believe he could bring it back around. So he could be a guy for you that turns out a comeback season and earns himself a long-term contract. But I'm also looking at Chris Sally, and, and he's... What, on the 60 injured list, Tommy John surgery? Say what? Where did this come from? So Chris Sale, uh, Tommy John surgery was something that happened almost exactly a year ago now, um, pretty much right around the time that sports shut down, that he was going to have Tommy John. He and Noah Syndergaard of the Mets actually ended up both having their Tommy Johns almost Mm -hmm. around exactly the same time. So his timetable to return is probably June. Um, if we're lucky a little bit earlier, if we're not lucky later, um, he's been progressing pretty well. Cora, Cora and the pitching staff seem to be happy with him. Um, he has been hurt or had been hurt for a while before the Tommy John. Uh, if you yeah. go back to the 2019 season, he was the pitcher on opening day. And pretty much from the start of opening day, he got absolutely shelled. But he did turn it around. In about late April, uh, May, he was going through a stretch where he was striking out 10, 12 batters every single start. The problem was that he was also giving up more home runs than he ever had before because, uh, you know, combination of the juiced ball and just some mechanics problems probably, but he was still striking out a ton of batters. In fact, he actually had a career best 17 strikeout game against the Colorado Rockies and the problem was that everyone was going off of his win-loss record, which most people have accepted as a very outdated stat now. But people were saying, you know, oh, well, his win-loss record is terrible. And it's like, well, yeah, but he struck out 12 batters. The Red Sox just aren't giving him any run support. And so he's getting the L in all of these games. And um, then by about early August, he was on the injured list. And he came back for, I think, one or two starts. But then he spent the rest of the season on the injured list. And um, it was probably pretty clear by August or September that he needed the Tommy John. This is 2019. And um, Mm -hmm. they just, you know, you want to try everything you possibly can before you can go to Tommy John surgery, obviously, because it's such a long recovery process. But at the same time, you know, if you think back to this whole season, like 2020 obviously was a throwaway for the Red Sox, but if he'd had that surgery in October of 2019, he'd be ready by now. And, um, you know, considering the Red Sox desperately to have a watchable product on the field this year, Chris Sale's return cannot come soon. That was actually my big shock, though. When I saw that he was already on the injury list, he was already out all year last year. And I was caught off guard by him already being on disabled. I'm thinking, geez, it's been a year. It's been, it's been, some time now, I was surprised to see that there with still a lot of time left in spring training. That's why I wanted to ask you about because I remember this guy being a top dog. I remember him being a guy who 
you could rely on every fifth day to put together a quality start. And I also remember the 2019 struggles. So 2019, though, again, like I said, he he had a lot of games, and this happened to him in 2018, too. I remember a game in 2018 against his former team, the Chicago White Sox, where he struck out like eight or ten batters, but they lost one to nothing because the Red Sox could not score a run to save their lives. And it's like, yeah, that happens to him a lot. You know, there were a lot of games like that where the Red Sox, I mean, that 17 strikeout game against the Rockies, that was the most strikeouts in a single game by a pitcher since I believe Corey Kluber in 2016. It might have been Max Scherzer, uh, whoever had the most recent 20 strikeout game in 2016. Sales 17 strikeout game in 2019 was the most since that 2016 game. But he had the Tommy John in either March of 2020 or early April of 2020. And, you know, of course, if you get Tommy John, that's your season and part of next season, too. So here we are just kind of waiting to see when he will be back. But he is throwing and that's encouraging. Yeah, I just I remember I'm actually remember I remember it was an Angels game with the Red Sox. It was on I say it was Sunday night baseball. And he had come in his, his at that point his ERA was up over five at the time. And he was light out. Light the Angels could do nothing again. And yeah, eventually four four ERA. I just I remember that was that was a Sally I was um the sale I was used to was that kind of dominance. And that's also like what you're saying. That's when you know something was off because he couldn't do that every time out. And of course, like you're saying, run support. But 2018, the dominance that was there, that, that just wasn't there. And you were right, only with the arm. So what about this lineup? What's, what's the deal with the lineup right now? Um, you know, it's obviously a very different lineup. Um, and I think it's going to be a very different lineup game to game just because Cora really wanted a bunch of guys who are versatile. Uh, and you see that in the signings of guys like Martin Gonzalez and Kike mm-hmm. Hernandez. Kike Hernandez, for example, has played every single position except for catcher already in his major league career. Um, Marwin Gonzalez can play the infield and the outfield. Uh, obviously, Mookie, and Andrew Benintendi, and Jackie Bradley Jr. are all gone. So your outfield is going to consist of a bunch of different faces. You've got everyone from Alex Verdugo to Hunter Renfro to the utility guys I just mentioned, um, Franchi Cordero, potentially. There's a lot going on. And I think Cora wanted that so that we, and I say we, meaning the Red Sox, the Red Sox can kind of keep opposing teams on their toes, as in the Forrest Gump method. Life is a box of chocolates. This outfield, this lineup is a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Cora wanted guys that he could move around because I, they haven't found their footing. I mean, this is a completely different team. So until they kind of figure out what works, Cora is going to just keep slotting different people in every single time. But I will say that the individual pieces of this lineup, you've got some really heavy hitters. Um, even guys like newcomer Bobby Dahlbeck, he's already homered multiple times in spring training. He was batting 400 coming into today. I know spring training games don't count. But it is notable that the guy is already hitting. And he started off when he made his major league debut in September of last year. He homered something like five times in his first seven games. Um, There are a lot of really strong offensive players on this team. Everyone from Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers and J.D. Martinez to the newcomers like Kike Hernandez and rookie Bobby Dahlbeck. It's a matter of. Can they all find their swing when the regular season starts? And can this team actually work together as a cohesive unit? Because I mentioned earlier that people have compared this Red Sox offseason to the one before 2013 with the free agent signings. People didn't know what to make of that team because there were so many free agent signings. And it's the same kind of thing here where this team could either work really well, like they could either come together and be a great cohesive unit, or they won't. And if you're, you can be the most talented player in the world, but baseball's a team sport. If you don't have a cohesive functioning team, it doesn't matter how good you are. I mean, you know that with a Mike Trout, you know, he cannot win you games by himself as many home runs as he's hit. Well, and that's what I'm wondering. Red Sox, in the, in the past, they have, they almost spend 
good money to bring the right guys. They've been able to develop well in their, their farm system. And now they're, you know, in, in, a, in the midst of kind of a rebuild. Where is this franchise overall? Where's their farm system now? What does their future look like to you in the next, next two, three years? So I think that this year is still going to be a bridge year for the Red Sox. Um, I think they'll probably be slightly better than a 500 team. Um, they could, of course, surprise everyone and get really lucky with the health of multiple players that they need, like Eduardo Rodriguez and Chris Sale, and go on like a mildly exciting run. Um, I don't think that this is a postseason year for them, like maybe a wild card year where they like go to the wild card game, but then they don't win it. That's fine. I think it's a bridge year. Um, I think that 2022, 2023 is when you really see this team start to turn back around. Their farm system has improved. Um, it got a little bit, it improved a little bit in the rankings of places like Baseball America and MLB Pipeline, where see those kinds of things getting evaluated they they've moved mm -hmm. up a couple slots in terms of being slightly less terrible and depleted than they have been the last two years but the other thing to note is that the minor leagues just missed an entire year of play they mm -hmm. missed an entire 2020 season so a lot of these guys are going to have to find their way back and that's a problem that will affect every single team not just the red Sox. but i think that you know that Farm systems are different than obviously the big league club in that it takes time to kind of bear the fruits. It, it's not something where you can just kind of pump a bunch of stuff in, like a bunch of new players, and immediately your farm system is great. That's not how it works. I mean, the whole point of the farm system is it's a place for development. So, Kyan Bloom is known for building a farm system. He came from the Rays. Obviously, they are number one ranked farm system in the league. He is building a farm system pretty much from nothing. That takes some time. I think you'll see a couple years that'll start to bear fruit. I think that if they can get clever with their big league moves, which they seem to have, he seems to have done a pretty good job on paper so far with their moves this year. He did more than I expected. Um, I think that the team has the potential to, you know, maybe be third place in, uh, the division uh we'll see they got their butts handed to them by the rays today but i don't know i it's really hard to say with this team i mean they could be like really good absolutely totally boring and terrible um they could be somewhere in between it's really hard to predict at this point um you know people people keep asking me that and i i never know exactly what to say because i'm not quite sure what to make of them yet but i am interested um, I think if you're a fan of baseball, you know, the, the Red Sox are, to me, a legacy franchise. They're, they're a team that's expected to contend every year, so you're always going to have your eyes on the Red Sox and what they're doing. And, you know, coming off World Series a couple of years ago, the Yankees-Red the Yankee Sox rivalry is important to anybody who's just a baseball fan, so one know where things are, sure. And... Before we let you go, I just want to ask you quickly, tell folks about Girl at the Game. Oh, for sure. Um, so I founded Girl at the Game in 2017. Crazy to think it's almost four years old. But basically, I didn't really see a place in the sports market for women to just kind of write about sports in a safe place, show the world that women have a passionate voice in sports, belong in sports, um, and just that we have something to say. Uh, it started originally just for me. Like, I didn't think anyone would care. Uh, it was just kind of a personal blog that took off. And once it kind of took off and people were telling me, especially women, were telling me that it resonated with them and that it made them want to do the same thing, that I kind of thought that it could be what it is now, which is a place where any woman can write as long as you can, you know, form full sentences. You are welcome to come and write for Girl at the Game and talk about something that matters to you in sports. We also have a podcast that is hosted by me and my friend Alexander Francisco, who is a writer for the New England Sports Network, which is obviously the Red Sox broadcasting network, as well as Bruins and Patriots. Um, and we talk about all kinds of different issues in sports. This week, our guest was Melanie Newman, who is the broadcaster for the Orioles on Masson, and she originally came up in the Red Sox farm system as a broadcaster. 
a very good friend of mine and just a wonderful, inspiring woman in sports. But basically, Girl at the Game is just meant to show people that women belong in sports, that we care and we have opinions that are just as valid as yours and we have voices that are just as passionate as yours. Oh, there you go, folks. Go check out Girl at the Game. I like the fact that it's it's not just Red Sox. It's no, it's all get lots of sports across the board, and, and there is a I think a, a shortage of good journalism period in the sports world, and especially for perspective from the late from the late. We very rarely have had, like I told you before, we've we've had very few female guests in the show, and I, I also cover the Rams as well, and we've only had on there, and so I I love to see good perspective and. And yours is definitely appreciated. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on with us. And I hope to talk with you again when the Angels play the Red Sox this season. Oh, absolutely. 100%. We'll see if Mike Trout can hit another home run at Fenway Park because I think last year or the year before was his first one. Uh, it took him forever, but he got it. <laughs> but he got it. All right. Well, thanks so much. Oh, geez. My, my gosh. Where can people find you on social media? Oh, of course. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at GFSTARR1. Girl at the Game is at Girl at the Game, just all words, no undercases or anything. Um, Locked on Red Sox is at LO underscore Red Sox. And of course, you can listen to Girl at the Game and Locked on Red Sox wherever you get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, etc. And I also run the social media for Locked on MLB. That's a good gig right there. Awesome. Thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. It's an interesting point of view on the Red Sox. And I'm very curious as to what this team is doing. The Red Sox actually have the financial resources to turn around things pretty quickly. And I don't expect them to be down very long. I'm wondering, though, what they're going to do in terms of the farm system. It's slowly rebuilding, kind of like what we have to do or have been doing little by little. But they're the Red Sox. They're in a tougher division in terms of you have the Yankees every year the big spenders, and they've done a solid job building up their farm system as well. So the Red Sox have a lot of different complexities the Angels don't have as much of. Very interesting to see what the Red Sox do to get back to the, to the promised land. They're the Red Sox. I mean, the odds are pretty good that's going to happen. That's what makes it difficult for teams like the Orioles, because the Orioles have so much they need to take care of as well to get back to the promised land, but they don't have the financial capabilities other teams do. They don't have the deep pockets. They don't have the big market. And they don't have a division free of the Red Sox and the Yankees, not to mention a much-improved Blue Jays organization, which has been slowly building to becoming a contender once again. So I'm very interested to see where the Orioles are going. And Josh Soroka from Section 336 has a very positive point of view for their future. Check it out. All right, folks, I am here with Josh Soroka. One of my more fun interviews when doing the tour in the league or when talking just some serious previews because at this point, and it's been this point for a while, he's never afraid to, well, shall I say, be self-deprecating as a Baltimore fan. My question for him right off the bat is going to be once we say hello here, when's that changing? Josh, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing well. Glad to be back on here. I was just looking, and uh, we spoke early January last year. Not sure if it went out, but it's nice that this year we know we're going to have a baseball season. And a full baseball season, 162. Yes, of course. Now, yeah. Now, it depends your definition of a full baseball season, because if you've noticed, Fangraphs, says the Orioles have a 0.0% of making, chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, but that's kind of normal now. It has been. I mean, it's been, I mean, it's been normal years. for us too, by the way. I mean, I'm not just picking on you because we've been, we, we, we can't make the playoffs to save our lives. So, you yeah, know. You guys got a 30-some percent fan graphs, and you got the best player in baseball that you get to watch each week. You know, and that's fun to have. And it's, it's nice to have a, a guy you finally could hit behind him for a full season with a rundown. You know, that's what we're looking forward to having somebody hit behind him, protecting the lineup for a full year. But can we get some pitching? That's got, always the question. Hey, and we picked another guy up from you guys. You were dead. Hey, man, you were on the ball. You were on the ball with Dylan Bundy. Major props to you. You called that. 
So what about our acquisition for this year? What can we what can we see with him? Who'd you guys get this year? I should know this. Are you serious? What? I, um, oh my gosh. Let's Are see. You- oh, <laughs> you don't understand the amount of pitchers that go in and out of Baltimore. It gets a little it gets a little annoying. Um, you guys don't have Gaussman, right? Nope. Uh, we, can, we should do like one of those little, you know, behind door number one, behind door number two, door number three. I mean, uh, I mean, you're right though. You guys signed my, Matt Harvey. All right. Let's see. Oh, no. Okay. I got it. We actually made a deal. You didn't. Yes. Sign a free agent. We made a trade with you. <laughs> I've got yes. this. I'm an idiot. You guys have. The only guy who's not quite as disappointing in Baltimore as Ubaldo Jimenez was, as you get Alex Cobb. Yes, Alex Cobb. So tell us about him. I mean, so is I there like hope him. for this guy's career? I think so. Let's be honest. Alex Cobb was a great pitcher before he came to Baltimore. He got banged up. He had a lot of injuries. He pitched very few games in Baltimore. I think over three years, he pitched like 24 games or something. Uh, big disappointment in that because he was never the in and eater. He was always on injured for some reason or another. So if he can stay healthy, I think the change of scenery is going to do well for him. He's got something to prove. Um, so yeah, it's not bad. Again, Dylan Bundy, you guys take Dylan Bundy. He does fine for you guys. You get a pitcher out of Baltimore, they're going to improve. So I would not be concerned about Alex Cobb. In fact, I'd be a little excited for Alex Cobb, and I'd be looking at those Tampa Bay Ray numbers as more of what you guys should be expecting. He's 33, man. He's 33. Yeah. yeah. It's, I know. It's old. Nelson it, Cruz is still playing, though, at 41. I know, but I mean, talking about a guy who hasn't had an ERA below four since 2017, you, yeah. know, four out of, you know, four out of five seasons with an but, injury. But let's be hasn't honest. had three starts in his career. I know. But Camden Yards is not a great spot for a pitcher. The AL East is a horrible division for, the, for a pitcher. All that's going to work in his favor for you guys. Well, you know, also just to point out, you know, Dylan Bundy had Mickey Callaway. Now, Mickey Callaway is not going to be an angel this year in terms of pitching staff. And so Mickey Callaway is one of the, probably one of the best pitching coaches in the league. He's going to be done the league now. And so we have no idea how the angels are going to handle him. I don't think there's, don't think there's any way he's back. Um, you know, I'm trying to see if even any news is broken the last day or so that he's gone because we know he's suspended right now. But yeah, you know, so on the angels side, it was clear that Callaway had, you know, done some, you know, did well with Bundy, and Bundy was phenomenal for us, man. You called it. He's a great did, pitcher. He's good. He just wasn't here. It didn't. He wore out his welcome in Baltimore. Um, so I'm glad to see him succeed over on the West Coast. But how, but how much of it was the staff and how much it was Bundy? Hindsight 2020. Uh, yes, it's both. It's, uh, it's Bundy grew up Bundy Bundy made his Oriole debut at like 20 years old might have even been 19 at the time and then he got Tommy John and came up they brought him up probably too early because they were excited for this guy mm-hmm. uh, then he got hurt then they brought him up again then he got hurt so he was coming to his own when the Orioles decided to rebuild so I think he would have been fine even in Baltimore that year but it's always good to get a pitcher out of Camden Yards and out of the AL East. It doesn't hurt. I mean, better defense, too, for that matter. Yeah, sure. But uh, maybe, I don't know, those, those 2012 to 2014 Orioles were known for their defense. I'm and talking about now. Not that. That. I'm so not now, now, yes, now a big difference having Bundy out there is a better defense. So... I said this was my first question. We kind of talked around a little bit. Is that going to change? Are the Orioles falling on a path now to where you see a light at the end of the tunnel? I do. Um, the question is, 
I don't know how much last year affected have affected things for the future. Like for the past couple of years, uh, on Section Three Thirty Six, we've been pointing to twenty twenty three as in twenty twenty three. We're winning the World Series, and we've been going with twenty twenty three is the year for the Orioles. That twenty twenty two is where they get competitive and start raising eyebrows. Twenty twenty three is when they win the thing. Twenty twenty one, they're going to be horrible. Because they're waiting and they're keeping their best players at triple A and double A. Adley Rushman is going to be a superstar in this league. He's not going to come up this year. They're holding back until they're ready. And it's going to be very similar to the Astros. And I, everyone I know makes that comparison because Mike Elias was with the Astros at the time. And the whole trust the process thing. Um, I completely believe that. And I trust the process. And it's. I can see the stars and things aligning in the minor leagues, and I see prospects to get excited about. I even see prospects that could be exciting this coming season. But I really do believe that 2023, the Orioles are back and really have a chance to compete in this league. Well, I have to throw the obligatory Astros joke in here. I mean, by being back and trust the process, that include trash cans? I believe. Um, obviously, no. <laughs> I was trying to think of a better answer, but let's just go. Uh, no, I don't think Michael Elias was part of the trash cans. I believe every he did not get a suspension or a fine or anything. And from as far as baseball could tell, he did not know about the trash cans. But here's the comparison for the Astros mm-hmm. and the Orioles is that season before the Astros won the World Series, one reporter wrote an article that the Astros were going to win the World Series. And it happened to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Yeah, I remember No that. one else saw that. That guy saw it coming because it was his local team, because he was embedded in with that team and seeing day-to-day what they're doing and seeing the growth in spring training and all the behind-the-scenes stuff that was going on outside of the trash cans. And I think that's what's going to happen with the Orioles, is local people, we're, we see it coming. Outside of this market, people are going to be surprised. So, looking down the road here, with success comes big contracts. When that time comes, will Baltimore be able to keep their players? Um, yeah, I got to say yes. Uh, it's funny because, yeah, the Orioles are laughing stock because their payroll this year is like $50 million, and 22 of that million goes to Chris Davis. But, what the Chris Davis contract proves is when a player performs, the Angelos family will open up the checkbook and pay him. Now, Chris Davis has been a huge disappointment since he got that paycheck, but that doesn't disprove that they're willing to pay. But they're being smart about it. There's no point in spending money right now for players. We went through this. We had 14 years of losing before our last little segment of winning, where every year the Orioles would excite us by signing. Sammy Sosa, or whoever the other hot veteran uh, player was for the season. And they'd bring in one big name to help, Vladimir Guerrero. Mm-hmm. And that's, they spent the money. Money and all, that doesn't win. Um, we didn't keep Manny Machado. And I think that's because of the Chris Davis investment. I think, but at the same time, I believe that if Chris Davis' investment worked and he was still hitting 30 to 40 home runs plus and getting on base and the shift didn't destroy his career if chris davis contract was a success they would have dumped the same amount of money into manny machado on the same roster but once the one was a complete failure you have to kind of back off that pedal and not invest more because it's not helpful at this point so talk us through the team that's here this year where is this roster in comparison with last year? What are the high points? What are the low points? What do they got? Uh, they got some bodies. <laughs> There's nothing. Living? Um, yes. Good. There's nothing to be excited about on this roster. They've got bodies. They've got people to fill spaces. They've got Chris Davis, who may or may not play. The storyline for the Orioles. This season is going to be Trey Mancini. 
because how cool is the story to go and take a year off of baseball to fight colon cancer, to have surgery, and less than a year from your colon cancer surgery to be cl- get a clean bill of health and be back playing not just baseball, but Major League Baseball. So that's the good storyline for the Orioles for the year. That's your automatic comeback player of the year award. Um, then we've got some pitchers that we can be excited about. How has Mancini looked in, in camp thus far? He's looked like the old Trey Mancini. He's looked, he hasn't lost a step. And what we're seeing is the veteran presence come out of him as a leader on the field. And, and that's cool to see. Um, we're seeing it very little because COVID is making spring training coverage really weird with not being full of reporters and stuff. But when we're seeing glimpses of it and what we're hearing is we're seeing him as a leader, and that's good, and that's exciting, and what we want. Um, so that's the cool thing. And we all know, before that comeback player of the year, all Trey really has to do is play baseball. He doesn't even have to be good because it's such a story. But I think he's going to be good, and I think he's going to be back to his old self once the season starts. So what about the rest of this team here? You're right. talking about a couple guys here. Well, let's, uh, let's go around. Let's go, to, let's go through some positions. Okay. So for catcher, we have Pedro Severino and Chance Sisko. Um, Severino's a veteran guy. He's there. He's fine. Chance Sisko's a placeholder. Neither of them are good. Neither of them are futures. The future of the Orioles is Adley Rushman, who's going to be a superstar. Uh, but they're not going to bring him up until this team's ready to win. So maybe I would love it if they bring him up in June. But I also won't be surprised if we don't see Adley Rushman until next year. For him to come up in June, he will have to be just destroying the ball in, in Norfolk and just pushing his way and forcing his way out of triple A. Then over at first base, we mentioned Trey Mancini, and we've got Chris Davis there. We mentioned those guys. Chris Davis is going to be interesting. They've got all that money invested in him. He's looked horrible. He's came into camp in better shape. He's came into camp with a new batting stance. He came into camp and hurt himself after two at-bats, and he's now hurt. So we don't know. So Chris Davis, I believe, is the face of the organization, (laughs) unfortunately. Um, And we'll see if he sticks around and is there for more than just his, his contract. Over at second base, we don't have much. We've got uh, Yomer Sanchez, who, I mean, he won the gold glove, but he's nothing special. We just picked him off, off waivers. We've got this kid, Ryan Bannon, who might be potential, but he's never made, played above AAA. And then we got this guy that we got from you, in the Alex Cobb trade, Jemai Jones, who mm-hmm. I believe was supposed to be good and had great projections and did not perform well in your minors. Is that correct? Uh, yes, you've got to remember what the Angels were doing is they were really, they were going for athletes, guys who were multidimensional. And so Jemai has all the athletic ability in the world and he was just starting to get the bat where it needs to be. And guess what happens? COVID. Yeah. So it wasn't actually, it's kind of the opposite of what you were saying. He was believed to be figuring it out and making his move. And then, bam, this is what happened. How did the Angels use the alternative site last year? Did they use it for prospects or did they use it as a... Uh, Feeder system for 2020. Uh, I would say, I mean, like, did Jones was he at that alternate site working out last year? Or I believe was it so. A lost year. I believe so. Because okay. I know Joe Adele was out there tearing tearing it off for a little while too, and all the other guys went down there and did fine. So I mean, it's just that it's different when you're not actually playing the game every day competitively like you would in minors. It was, and, yeah, but it was interesting for the Orioles last year. That alternate site that they did in Bowie, it seemed to fix guys. We'd have guys that were struggling in the majors. They'd send him down there for mm-hmm. a week, and he'd come up and start, start hitting the cover off the ball. 
We saw it work with pitchers. We saw it work with outfielders, infielders. It was strange how that was working for the Orioles last year. You know, how, how's Bowie doing now? I mean, I saw they kept him in the organization. Yeah. Who? Bowman? I mean, I, I saw oh, they kept oh, Bowie in the, in the rotation there for Baltimore, which made sense. Well, um, well, Bowie's Bowie's the uh, minor league affiliate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean that's so what I'm saying. They're, they're, they're a double him. A. No, there's, it's great because it's 25 minutes from Camden Yards. So if you want to talk about a taxi squad, that's the best place to have them. Absolutely. You know, and I remember because, you know, if I told you, <clears throat> there was a time many years ago when I was, for one season, Louie, the Bowie Bay Sox mascot. Oh, the, the green monster guy? Yes. Who looks just like Wally, except he's somehow Louie. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes, right. many years ago, I moonlighted when I was in the military. Gotcha. The well, yeah. Bowie, Bowie is a great little stadium. Uh, nice little place. And it for is. the Orioles, the key is how close it is to Camden Yards. Um, all right. So going back to the Orioles infield, uh, we got Rio Ruiz over at third base, but we've been playing with Ryan Bannon there, giving him some time this spring. And there's also been some rumors today that the Orioles are looking for signing a free agent third baseman. So I'm not really sure what's going on there. Uh, Freddie Galvez is probably our only stable infielder where we signed him this offseason. And this is a classic uh, Mike Elias deal. One and, one and a half million dollar deal. And the guy gets a bonus if we trade him. Because clearly the plan is to play with the Orioles until July, and then we're going to trade you. So, um, and he's looked good. The outfield is actually a little exciting for the Orioles. We've got some potential out there. We've got Ryan Mountcastle, who's pretty high up on our, pros- on our top prospects list. Uh, his strong point's the bat. He struggles at defense, but he seems to be working out. He's worked out a lot on the outfield, and... Today, he looked really good. He was, there's some tough game balls in Sarasota with the wind there, and he did a good job handling them today. We've got a little bit of a battle in center field between Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes. Cedric Mullins, years ago, was kind of given the reins to center field. Kinda, they, they did a little handoff from Adam Jones to Cedric Mullins, and he immediately disappointed everyone. Mm. So after that, he went to the minor some, and he's looked better. Austin Hayes seems to be the guy there who has stabilized center field. And then over in right field, we have Anthony Santander, who had an outstanding 2020 year. So it'll be interesting to see if he can build on that. He was a Rule 5 guy that the Orioles grabbed uh, three years ago. And last season was really exciting. I hope that that's not just a shortened season and a small sample size. I mean, that's what we're hoping for Jared Walsh on our side. Yeah, similar, very similar situation. Um, and then, yeah, our, our rotation sucks. I mean, (laughs) we've got John means, and then we've got, we've got two exciting prospects, Dean Kramer and Keegan Aiken. Both these guys look good and they're young guys who may or may not make the rotation. They may hold them out because again, Michael Elias doesn't care about winning this year. He cares about winning starting next year, I think. And Um, the fans are on board with that though, right? They're, they're cool with that. Fans are stupid. The, the people, the long-term Oriole fans understand. But you know, how, you know how fans are. There's always the fan that got on board uh, when the Orioles won the division four years ago, and they'll never understand why we don't win the division every year. So for the most part, I think fans are on board. But it's tough to be patient for a fan. I want to see all these guys. I get mm-hmm. that this isn't the Orioles' year, but I still want to see these young guys because I don't care about the money side of the business. And the contract. And I don't care that if you wait until June to bring him up, that you own his rights for another year. I just want to see him play, and then you pay him when it's time. I don't like the whole delay starts for contract. Yeah, I get you. I get you. The rest of our rotation, let's just say we brought Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey to camp. So um, maybe if we have a time machine, we'll be okay. I mean, we, we've already tried that, that uh, experiment. It didn't go well. It never goes well. So I mean, we'll see. Um, if anything, at least as Oriole fans, we get to see King Felix and Matt Harvey pitch. And well, it's, 
I that's more of a veteran bat you don't mind seeing in your lineup when a veteran pitcher comes and they get knocked around. You don't really get the same feelings. Well, you get angry feelings. We know. We saw we saw Matt Harvey's horrifying performance with the Angels a couple of years ago. You know, we had high hopes for him to turn everything around. Yeah. He gave a couple of signs of it and then never got together. Right. You did, we also, you, you did send us Jose Iglesias. Can you tell us about him? Uh, yeah. I mean, Jose Iglesias is a fine uh, shortstop. There's nothing. I would gladly take him. Um, I think it came down to cutting salary to get rid of him. No issues with him. I think he was one of our better players last year. That's all you got? I mean, come on, tell us more about him. I mean, <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, he's – here's the other thing. He wasn't in Baltimore long. So, like, it's not someone the fans really got to fall in love with because there were no fans last year. So, I mean, he's a guy we enjoyed. He watched. He, he's a placeholder. He, he batted – I mean, is this right? He only played in nine games for the Orioles last year? Uh. I mean. That's what I'm supposed to judge things on? That no, he had 142 at-bats for you last year. Yeah, this stat is wrong. When I just pulled up his career stats, it says Baltimore, nine games. 142 so. at-bats for you. Three home runs, 373 batting average. All right. I mean, he's a fine player. He's not bad. He's not good. On a, on a decent team, he's a contributor. He's not the type of guy that should have been in, in Baltimore. We took him as a placeholder. Every veteran we sign, it's one goal. It's to flip them in, in July. And he performed well enough to do that. If last year was a normal year, he would have been fine. No, nothing was normal about last year. Nothing was, unfortunately. Right. Of course not. So, I mean, well, I mean, I guess, I mean, I hate to say it, that's pretty much all we got. I mean, like, I keep trying to think of things when it comes to Orz, I want to know, but it's really, I mean, no offense. It's just a team that is in the waiting. Like you, you talk about yeah. Adley Rushman, these guys coming up. We're not going to see him this year unless he's like you said, either tearing the cover of the ball off the ball or the entire major roster is like on the DL. No, you're not going to you're not going to see the exciting guys this year. Um, it's some of the pitchers that are interesting to look at. As a guy I didn't mention, who's kind of on the bubble for the rotation, is Bruce Zimmerman. He's a Towson University grad, kind of a long shot, but he keeps shining in spring training this year. He's been looking really impressive. And then if you want to have some fun, go on to Twitter and look up Mickey Janice, who's this like veteran minor league guy. He's been in the minors forever. He's, throws a, he's a now a knuckleballer, and he's got a really sick-looking knuckleball that the Orioles yesterday, I think, put out a video of it in slow motion. And they're zoomed in on the ball, and you can just see when he throws it, the rotation stops, and it just glides in there. It's an awesome uh, knuckleball guy. So I hope he looked really good in spring with that, his like zero sprint, spin rate, and it'd mm-hmm. be exciting to see uh, him mixed into the bullpen between a hard throw in Hunter Harvey and, um, and just in that back end of the rotation. It'd be fun to see him. The Tanner if, Scott's the other arm I was thinking of. I mean, if Harvey makes the roster. I mean, he's going to make the rotation. He's not going to make or he's not going to make the rotation. He's going to be in the bullpen. Hunter Harvey, not Matt Harvey. All right, I was about to say. Okay, Hunter okay, Harvey. Get you. All right. Now, Hunter Harvey. Matt Harvey. If Matt, all right. If Matt Harvey uh if Matt Harvey makes let's see. I think King Felix has a better chance of making this rotation. If Matt Harvey makes this rotation, it's because we wanted to delay the young guys even more. And we don't care about winning. So we're going to try to see if he can just eat innings for us. Well, eat something. Yeah, I just need it to be innings. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, I, I know there are, there are teams in the league that you consider legacy teams. Teams that have been around for a long time who have had you know, traditional successes. And nobody wants to see those teams down for long because you're used to seeing great things from that organization. And, you know, 
obviously we're in the same same league. We, we face our you know good amount of times a year. I still, it still is good to see teams compete with the Red Sox and the Yankees in that division. Um, it's still fun to see the Orioles of all teams do it just because they've had so many great series with those teams in the past. So I'm hoping yeah. you're right. I'm hoping you're right. I'm hoping to see the Orioles come out there and, 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 and you know, I, I was stationed there. I know, you know the people in the area there, um, there are a lot of cool fans out there. who are just tired of the hot crap. And Baltimore so, is definitely a blue collar. Yeah. Town. And yeah. their fans, they are different fans than you see if you go to a Nationals game or a, a Rays game or. Sure. And all. And this is a low point for the Orioles. As fans, we understand it and can get through it. But come on, when baseball season kicks off, kicks off with fan graphs saying you have a 0.0 and everyone laughs because they've never seen that before, and then. The next day, The Onion writes an article about spring training saying the uh, Orioles manager, Brandon Hyde, is ticked because players showed up to camp in too good of a shape. <laughs> we're not used to being – we're used to being the laughingstock among ourselves. We're used to there being a team that's the laughingstock of the country. And this year, the Orioles are that laughingstock. And that's a new low for us. I mean, now, how many wins do you think they get? Yes. See, I'm naturally positive, though. I think the over-under is 62 games, and I'm going to take the over on that because I, I see the bright spots in this team. And I see, I think it's really hard to lose 100 games. I know teams do it. I know it can happen. But a little, just a, clicking together for a little bit, two hot weeks, and you'll avoid that 100-game mark. So I'm going to take the over on 62. I think this team I think this team's probably a 70 win team. And that's not great, but it's better. It's an improvement than last year or not last year, but the year before. It's a better winning percentage than last year. I mean, I guess you're right. <laughs> I mean, I guess you're right. Yeah. I mean, the Orioles got hot last year for like 2-3 weeks where they were really fun. And you do that in a regular season, and who knows? You'll, well, you'll mean, avoid that 70. You're not going to make the playoffs. The There's Orioles. No chance. I mean, Josh, the Orioles, they pretty much started the, the collapse of the Angels in 2019. They, had, they came into this series with, with, um, with the Orioles. at. They just swept the Dodgers. And they were dealing with, you know, with a death. Everybody kind of knew they were running emotional fumes, and those emotional fumes ran out in that hugely long extra innings game that the Orioles took from them, you know, beat them. And the season collapsed from there, and the Orioles looked unstoppable in that series offensively. Well, that's that, I think that, we that interviewed that you in, for that series. Was that didn't that we? series in like late July where the Orioles went and won three games in LA? Yeah, yeah. I think we yeah. even had you on the show for that, didn't we? Uh, I don't probably, maybe. I mean, I mean, yeah, the Orioles had, the Orioles get hot at the right time and yeah, you never know. I mean, yeah, sure, we won we did great in that series against you. We finished 2019 with 54 wins. Mm -hmm. So it's tough. And, and part of that is because we have to play the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Blue Jays, and they're all better teams. Any chance they don't finish in last place in the division? Um, the Rays interest me because they were in the World Series, and they did nothing really to improve themselves. If anything, they made themselves worse, I would think, this offseason. Um, I don't think Boston is trying to really, real hard to win. So there's a chance that, like, you know, the right injuries or something, and we can end up in, in fourth. But, no, we're probably last in the division. I don't think we're going to be the worst team in baseball. I think we will have a better record than the Tigers, at least. 
Probably, you know, but, you know, but you know, if you ever talk to a Tigers guy, they have the same kind of attitude. You do think their time is coming twenty twenty three ish, twenty twenty four ish. Yeah, and and uh, yes, and then I can look at that, and they can, and I can kind of agree. Okay, yeah, it makes sense for um, the Tigers to be a year ahead of the Orioles on that projection. So who knows? But I don't think the Orioles are as bad as everyone says they are this year. I don't think we're going to make the playoffs, so I understand the 0.0. But I think there's other teams in baseball, I mean, that are going to be worse. I think the Tigers are going to be worse. I think the Rangers are going to be worse. I think the Mariners might be worse. The Marlins are going to be worse. Um, Do you think the Marlins are worse? I think the Marlins will be worse. I don't believe they're a rebuild. I think, I think the Pirates... Line up to be horrible. I think the Rockies are going to have a horrible year. So, like this whole, I think, I think it's interesting when you watch a rebuild because you've got Mike Elias who wants the team to lose every game so he can get the number one draft pick. But then you've got Brandon Hyde, the manager, who's got something to prove, and the players that got something to prove, and they don't want to be the worst team in baseball. And for Mike Elias, if it works out, then great. In July, he can trade players mm-hmm. and, and, and then send the Orioles back on the projection down towards uh, last. But I don't think we're going to be the number one draft pick. I think, we're gonna be, I think there's going to be three, four, five teams beneath the Orioles when the season is over. Well, all right. I'd be- <laughs> I mean, that's... It's hard to say, yeah, I'm optimistic. We're going to be the fourth or fifth worst team I, in baseball. I, I don't I know. Believe. Because when you describe this team, you're telling me how horrible they are. And then you're expressing hope towards the end. I mean, that's a good thing. But well, it's confusing. Oh, yeah, it's confusing. Because, the team's, because it's, the team's bad. But they're not the worst team in baseball. And it all depends on stuff that I can't project. Which is when they're going to bring up these, these uh, rookies. Because there's some that are ready for the majors now. There's some that will be ready in June. And do they bring them up? Or do they say no because of salaries and contracts and uh, ownership? We're going to hold them for another year. That completely changes what this team does this year. And I can't project that yet. All right. Well, let's talk again when these two teams play. And we'll Sounds good. see where we are. Can you let folks know where they can find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Josh Soroka, or you can find my podcast, Section 336, anywhere you search for a podcast or anywhere you just search Section 336. There's some like FFA law, FAA laws that'll pop up, and then our podcast if you type in Section 336. Also, we got a new thing this year called Birdland Tonight. If you ever mm-hmm. want to watch an Orioles postgame show, the Baltimore Orioles uh own the broadcast on Masson and they have decided that they're not going to invest any money into a pregame or a postgame show anymore. So we're picking up the mantle and we're doing a postgame show after every Orioles game on the internet for called Birdland Tonight. So check that out every day. I just put my head in my hands as I'm hearing you say that. Talking about the Orioles not putting a postgame show anymore. Like <laughs> yeah. this is this is this is the Orioles. I know. Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? That's how talking Heels was start because and it wasn't anything the Angels did wrong, but there was so little coverage of the Angels in our market that well, like, well, let's get more, let's get more coverage in there. Do the Angels own the Angels? Do not own the TV station that broadcasts them. Right? They don't. Yeah, they don't. there's only three or four teams left that have that, and the Orioles are one of them. And they don't. So when you don't want to spend money on the Orioles, you also don't want to spend money on the broadcasting of the Orioles. So I'm hoping that they'll sell their rights to a real broadcasting crew instead of trying to do it all in-house in the future. Maybe. But you know what? That would make too much sense. Yep. Make too much sense. All right. Well, one last thing before we go, because I picked on the Orioles a little bit. I want to say this about the Orioles. For the last three years or so with the Angels, we've been thinking, okay, we see a plan. We see this plan. We see this plan. We see where they're going with it. And what we found out 
here is that plan wasn't as tangible as we thought it was going to be. So I would say this, at least the Orioles have a plan, Josh. At least they have a vision of something. So while I'm picking on the fact that they're supposed to be awful this year, I tremendously respect a vision that's being put in action when we've had a hard time really getting a gauge of the vision of this of our franchise for a while. Right. There are a lot of people who have said that Mike Trout's been, been wasted. Oh, and I've, I've I, said that. I've yeah. definitely said that. Well, sure. I used to argue against that basically because he, he made the call to sign the extension. He made right. the call right. to stick around. But, you know, I don't think when he signed his extension, he was expecting more of this. I thought he was convinced at that point in time of the same plan that we were convinced of. Yeah. So, you know, at this point, you it's hard for anybody to not to argue that it's been wasted. Now, do, do I think this team could be a Wayne team this year? Yes. But I really respect the fact that it that the Orioles have a clear vision. Like, you know exactly where they're going. You know what they're doing. And you've got a guy who's done it before. So I really hope it works out for you. All right. Thank you. Me too. And you guys have some fun players to watch. So we do. You got we're, yeah, with Trout and Atani and stuff. You got some fun, just individual players. So if they could put it all together as a team, it could be fun. It could be. But our concern right now is the weakness. Um, the weaknesses are the uh, the bullpen right now, and the starting lineup, the starting the starting five. We we don't know. There's so many question marks just injury wise that we have no idea right. how good these guys will be. So we'll see. All right, man. Have a great one. All right. Thank you. Well, there you have it. And he's been pretty consistent. A year ago, he was saying a lot of the same stuff. Now, here we are a year later. He's more positive than ever that the, the Orioles are on the path to greatness. I'm looking forward to seeing where they go. Um, I, I have a soft spot for legacy franchises. I used to go to a lot of Orioles games when I was teaching there. I was in the military. And I would like to see the Yankees get a little bit more competition, the Yankees and the Red Sox, that matter, from the other legacy club in the division. So, there you go. There are our previews with. Both the Red Sox, Gabriel Starr, and Josh Soroka from Section 336. If you'd like to know more about their shows, check them both out on Twitter. Check them both out wherever podcasts are found. Section 336 for Josh Soroka and Locked on Red Sox for Gabriel Starr. All right, that's it for us. Until next time, I'm Derek C. Paula. I'm out of here. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.